0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Gurus, where every Friday we explore stories of international business and speak with industry leaders operating around the world. I am your host, Philip Auerbach of Auerbach International. Thank you for joining us. If you're tuning in for the first time, we start each podcast with a running segment called Faux Pas Fridays, where we explore a funny blooper or mistranslation that does not quite convey the professional image that your organization wants to project. So for example, and our guest will be speaking of Mexico, so I'm using an example from Mexico. A sign in an Acapulco hotel said in English, the manager has personally passed all the water served here. So today's guest is Craig Handley. And Craig is hard to describe, but let me try anyway. He's an author of a best-selling book called Hired to Quit, and he's a musician who expects to write music for the art for artists all over the world, and he's also a bit of a comedian who has done stand-up on Broadway in New York. He also moonlights as CEO of his company, Listen Trust, which was named number one in business products and services out of 27 overall on Inc. Magazine's 500 out of 5,000 list. Listen Trust is a call center doing about $100 million in sales every year, answers about a h- hundreds of thousands of call-centered lead generation calls, and employs close to a 1,000 awesome people. On the personal side, Craig has cage-dived with great white sharks and has repelled down Table Mountain in South Africa. He's also driven the Baja 500 Trail in Mexico and has hiked through, through the jungles of Malaysia. In Iceland, he snow snowmobiled across a live volcano swam in the Blue Lagoon and dived in the famous Silver Fissure, Fissure, sorry, I can't pronounce that word. Silver Fissure, which is the only dive site in the world where your dive is in a crack between two continental plates. He's also the 85th civilian in the world, ever to jump out of a plane over 32,000 feet. He's hung out on Necker Island with, with Richard Branson He's met Ringo Starr and bumped into Paul McCartney before security escorted him back to his table while trying to get a selfie. And in Calgary, he had a scarf blessed while meeting the Dalai Lama. He has partied with Akon and Snoop Dogg and many other celebrities who asked him for his autograph because they happened to think that Craig started Vikings or Game of Thrones and he did not quite correct their thinking.
1: He served five
0: years in the US Inf- Army Infantry during the First Iraqi War, leaving with an honorable discharge. Craig served. I'm sorry, Craig studied voice and piano in college and has written and produced hundreds of songs from rap to pop to ballads to humorous par- parodies, and even opened for Julio and hosted the Adult Entertainment Awards. He once turned down a record deal because it would have, would have been from, for him a pay cut from his profitable business. And the required tour schedule didn't leave him enough time for his business or his family so welcome Frank. thank you for joining us yeah you're welcome excited to be here that's a long intro who wrote that was that me <laughs> well you helped from uh, you know a it yeah i embellished the best but yes it's quite a long intro. quite impressive
1: what's funny is you talk about saying things wrong in other countries and i have a little story around that you know as far as doing things wrong mm-hmm. i didn't know much Spanish when I went and built this big business in Mexico. And, uh, I knew Caliente was hot and I knew muy was very, and in Hermosillo, Mexico, it gets to be about 127 degrees. So I was walking around my call center, talking to employees and I'd be going, ah, yo es muy caliente, yo es muy caliente. And if anybody's listening to this, that understands Mexican slang, I was supposed to be saying Ue mucho calor. I am very hot. What I was saying to everybody I was talking to is I'm very horny. Muy caliente is I'm very horny. And of course, I'm the owner of a business talking to 20-year-old girls who are taking my phone calls and boys. And everybody's finally one of my managers said, Craig, you own the company. Are you sure it's wise to be telling all these young girls that you're a very horny old man? They're like I mean, they might think that you're hitting on. Them. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I mean, you just—I just didn't know. I—I I mean, I thought it was—I'm very hot. Right? Not I'm very horny. But uh, oh well.
0: <laughs> well, that's. I wonder story. why I
1: got so many strange looks. Yes.
0: Sorry, say it again. I said, "I wonder why I got so many strange looks." Strange looks. Yes, sir. I'm sure that's really amazing. That's great, and that's an exactly um, <laughs> a wonderful example of how you know a simple mistranslation or a simple misuse of a word can have a totally different meaning that's uh, quite unprofessional in that case uh, especially from the CEO
1: yeah yeah uh, I think some of those some of those young women may have felt like they were obligated you know and I I was trying to be nice so. right of course oh, and I'm probably I was causing problems and I didn't even know it
0: <laughs> Well it's wonderful that's a great way to a great story, a great example of um, a cultural uh, blooper that can happen and, you know, what we all have to be mindful of doing international of business. Um, tell me a bit about your, your background and how you grew up and how you gained your, your global business experience, but also then your travel experiences.
1: Well, you know, reality is I, I started actually being a phone operator. Like I was an agent in a phone center. And um, I got really good, I had really good numbers. And so the company I was working for took my script, my recording, and they'd they'd actually, um, they'd write it all down and they'd use everything that I said to get all of their agents better results. And so I went from being an agent on the phones to being a script writer. And then when I would train people on how to use my script with uptones, downtones, hesitation, modulation, emphasis. When I started to train on how to use voice inflection to create a higher level of success, I became a script writer and a sales trainer. Mm. And other call centers around the globe started to hear about, you know, my experiences. And I started getting hired all over the world for people wanting me to come work in their call center and work on their scripting and, and train their agents on voice inflection. So I was doing that. And at one point I thought, geez, I should just build my own center. And when I was kind of having that thought, a friend of mine was like, you should build it, you know, in Mexico to service the U.S. Hispanic market. And I thought about that. I've always been a big believer that little hinges swing big doors. And in English, when we would take phone calls from Minnesota, I would talk with a, you know, hey, thanks for calling, hey you know, I would just put the right accent on it. Or in the South, you talk a little slower and you make sure you try to mirror that inflection as much as y'all can. And that adds five to 10 points to your close rate. Well, so 70% of America is Mexican American in the Spanish speaking space. And so I thought I wanted those five points, that five point close rate. So I went to Tijuana, I went to Monterey, I went to Mexico City, I went to Juarez. I, you know, traveled into quite a few places in Mexico and ended up in Hermosillo. They had about a million people and they had zero call centers. And so I knew I would be able to build something from the ground up. And as you heard in the bio, within three years, we had almost a thousand people and uh you know we were doing about 150 million in sales and mating 500 and you know it was almost it was it was like everything you know 10 years in the making to create an overnight success and so that's kind of how I got there and of course when I got there I had all of the things you talk about all the cultural I had to learn my lessons uh about culture differences um in the way probably everybody else does I just I had to fail you know so so that's how I built it and. Uh, you know, it was, I, I basically created a script change with six different call centers and I charged them $50,000 each to fix their FAQs. Mm-hmm. Most FAQs in call centers are, it's this, this, and this, okay, with an uptone. And that leads 30 to 50% of your customers to hanging up. And 30% of those people call back into reorder because they felt like they had to hang up the way the voice inflection ended the call. So I fixed the scripts, by saying on every FAQ, did you want to go ahead and play shorter? did you need a little bit more information? And we eliminated all the duplicate calls. Well, I brought that strategy to six centers, charged them 50 grand each, had 300 grand, and that was my seed money to start my
0: call center. Wow, that's a fantastic story. It's really incredible. So do you consider your call center your biggest global success? Um, I mean, it's, it's
1: pretty... I'm building a new business right now called social close and I've gone from zero to 50 employees in under a year. And uh, we'll see where that one goes, but uh, that one has a list of people waiting to work with it as well. And, um, and and so that looks like it could be my greatest global success in the future. But right now, I guess that's, you know, it's a business that we've got it for sale. Uh, We're looking to get around 18 to 20 million for it. So um, yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest success I've had
0: that's great um, you shared with us the, the cultural uh, Spanish blunder of you know, muy, muy caliente um, are there any other business blunders that you either know of or you've heard about that, uh, that b- they teach a lesson that our audience could learn from
1: yeah well look in Mexico another example is <clears throat> you pay a minimum wage in Mexico, a salary, and then you basically your minimum wage covers salary, benefits and taxes. And uh, we paid a a, a really low base salary and then a high commission. And early on in our business, you know, we once had a team of about 20 agents that were basically trading their shifts with other employees. Hmm. And so they didn't come to work for four or five weeks and they went to the beach every day and we paid their base salary and their taxes and their benefits. But they were giving away all their hours to other agents, which were making the commissions. And so I literally had about 20 people on payroll for about five weeks that hadn't set foot in the building. Wow. Uh, because of the way the Mexican law works. And then if I were going to fire them, I literally had to pay them like three months severance to fire them, even though they hadn't showed up for five weeks. So I, I, I actually... I I retained all 20 of those employees, but I made sure that they were uh, responsible for cleaning the bathrooms and doing most of the janitorial work. That was their new role. And I was able to get all of them to quit, which meant I didn't have to pay the severance. Um, So I had to, you had to learn that those were things that could happen in Mexican culture. I also tried to pay a higher salary and, um, And the performance suffered because the employees were happy with the salary and really just wanted to spend time with their families. So uh, I've I've had challenges in building comp plans and bonus structures, at least in the beginning, because I had to learn that the people in Mexico care more about going to the beach on the weekends than they do about making extra money. And that was America's pretty money focused. And so that was a big learning lesson for me, is that I had to build incentives that supported someone's family in order to make it worthwhile for them to come to work. So all of my commission plans now became, you don't just get a bonus per sale in order to qualify. You have to work your 40 hours. So you, none of your bonuses kicked in until you had 40 hours. And uh, that was something I had to add in because people would just not show up on the weekend. So they'd get their big bonus with their commissions after working 28 hours and they didn't feel like they needed any more money. They just needed more time with their family. So in order to get performance where I needed it to be, and and of course, I'm a phone center. So I have more of my calls on the weekend than come during the week. So I needed these people on the weekend. So I said, well, great, you can go to the beach, but then I'm not going to pay you as much, you know? So I had to create a multi-layered bonus plan and commission plan that benefited the company, but also benefited the employees as well. And, uh, and so they made a lot more money by working 40 hours, but I had to make sure it was balanced out based on the people that really were committed to the company versus the ones that were kind of committed. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. It's really fascinating how you, know, you had to experiment, as many businesses do, to see what works or what doesn't. That happens certainly in U.S. business as well. But working internationally, yes, we're dealing with different value systems. And as you said, Americans tend to focus on money. Uh, You know, this is cheaper, this is at a discount, this is on sale, or I'm going to make more money by doing this, this, whatever. Uh, Whereas other cultures have other priorities. And throughout Latin America, it's it's more about family than it is here.
1: Um, Yeah, it was even an adjustment in the way that we sell in the scripting. And of course, over 14 years of being in international business, things have changed too. Where when we first started marketing, a lot of the Hispanics were first and second generation Mexicans. So they were looking at Spanish only websites. And Google Translate was translating stuff, but it was all uh, not necessarily the right version of the translation. So if they could speak any English, they started leaning towards the English version of the websites. So as we've started to market the second generation, third generation Hispanics, we've had to switch the way that we speak to people and target people even further. We've had to be able to focus on U.S. Hispanics on English websites and give them an option as to which language they want to speak. So we've had to grow our English divisions out and had to grow, you know, and had to learn as the market shifted and changed in the U.S., which is where we do a lot of our marketing. We had to change the way that we speak to people and uh, target people. Um, So it's been interesting, you know. It hasn't been a dull. Every year is a little bit different, you
0: know, based on dealing with international values. That's fascinating. It's really fascinating how you, you know, adjust to that and learn learn from it. Um, It's sort of we call it acculturation. Acculturation, yes, very much so. Uh, and interestingly, that's a word that I use, but a lot of people don't understand it. That's a word that comes from sociology of how you adjust a system or, um, you know, a marketing campaign or a translation or the whole business approach, according to the target culture. Exactly. Um, so if you were going to enter, let's say, a, a new country or a new, a new market, you um, That doesn't match what you already know or what you've learned, either what you know in the US or what you've learned in Mexico. How would you approach it?
1: Um, I think you have to take time to learn about that country. We, um, again, we have so many failures. We tried to open a second center in Belize and we were there for a year. I'm sorry. In in Belize. Yes. in, In Belize. Right. And it was interesting because. What you find, if you're doing sales, having someone who understands American culture is more important than anything else, because in the format that we use to get our, the results that we get, which usually exceed what everybody else gets, our agents are trained to personalize and disarm in the greeting. That means you're having a couple of, you know, maybe one to a minute and a half of conversation around where they live or hey how about the the rams winning the super bowl what did you think of that and belize didn't have the acculturation or didn't have the they didn't really know what was going on in the u.s they didn't follow the nfl they didn't follow the nba or age league baseball so they couldn't have these common conversations which ended up hurting the close rate and the conversion rate the other thing about belize is it's really a highly sexually charged culture where the men outnumber the women um sorry the women outnumber the men like 10 to one wow. so the men are typical a lot of the men are very abusive huh. so you have to you literally have to play into the fact that you're going to have females come in with black eyes and, and, and be up recently and so we had to add to our culture some counseling around women who were abused and and you know it became geez we should we should buy a hotel so that these women could leave their partners but it's just It's just a way of life in Belize. And of course, that creates a sexually charged environment where the women, like one of my managers said to me, um, one of her employees wanted to, I was dating her best friends, or sorry, her boyfriend's best friend. And she thought she should be able to date him, even though she had a boyfriend. So she hired someone to beat up this girl on her team, because she couldn't beat her up herself because she was the manager. I had to explain to her that that's not exactly right either. You can't beat up or hire someone to beat up somebody on your team because you want to fool around with her boyfriend. Does her boyfriend even want to fool around with you? She goes, well, I don't know, but I have a better chance if she's out of the picture. Wow. And I'm like, it's just such a comp the women literally compete for any of the available men, men men are there. And, uh, and so the environment is focused. They're really hyper-focused on, a lot of gossip and a lot of relationship stuff. And as a result, like my payroll, it wasn't right one time in a year. Every week I had to fix it every Monday morning. I'd have 17 people lined up complaining about their pay. And it was inevitably the person who did payroll made mistakes. So I was like, man, Belize just, they're not going to get there, I don't think. I don't think they're going to be able to provide the level of support and talent that I need. So we closed it and in state of Mexico. So I've had multiple... Experiences. So, I guess the long-winded answer is really do some time, take some time, and research what you're looking for. If you're looking for sales, I would say stay, you know, near shore, would be Mexico. Uh, Canada has a lot of values in, in uh, American culture, and there they're probably a little cheaper than U.S. Uh, centers. Um, but it's got they've got to understand your culture if you're selling customer service. Well, I think customer service can be tougher than sales lead generation outbound, outbound. The Philippines could be a great company, you know, but or a great country to work with India. I avoid um, some of the southern, more southern Spanish speaking countries, again, don't have the level of acculturation that Mexico has. So I don't know. I guess I just have to learn everything you can about the environment, about the people, uh, about the, uh, the customs that they have, the holidays. Um, I mean, when you work in the Philippines, their morning is our night. Like for them, 7 a.m. is midnight. That's when the partying starts. That's when people go out drinking at 7 a.m. because they work with so many U.S. companies that their, their night is our day, and that's when they're busiest. So you have to adjust to that type of environment. So all kinds of, all kinds of things. The more that you, I mean, there really isn't any clear-cut way to know that you're making the right decision until you dive in and start to learn, you know, really from the school of hard knocks. So, but do as much research as you can.
0: That's really fascinating. Um, when you said about the tremendous disparity in Belize between women and men, is it because so many men have immigrated? What, what's the reason that it's like 10 to 1?
1: i don't I don't know really, I guess it's just how the population I, A lot of it is the gangs there's a lot of gang fighting, so a lot of young men are killed uh-huh. if you're in the inner city of Belize, so um you know there's a, one of and then of course geez, i i mean in a year's time, one of my employees, her son was killed her two year old son from a stray bullet, mm. and so I had to deal with that within the center because everybody felt that. this other guy was a former gang member, and he had turned informant to the police. And they used to call him the Godfather, and he worked for me for about seven or eight months. And some thirteen-year-old kid put twelve bullets in him while he was playing basketball oh. because he was considered a high target. And if you got a kill there, it puts you higher up in the gang. And uh, and so, I mean, we've had we had yeah, and then and then we had uh, two people shot right in front of our building. And mm. So you'd come to work Monday morning, and you'd still see the blood in the streets. And uh, and so. It's just a really highly, like I said, there's, I mean, I don't, their, their gang activity there is, is there's a lot of it, you know, they have 13 year old kids killing people at an ATM machine for a hundred bucks. So, um, so yeah, so I, I guess there's a lot that you have to, I had to deal with there that I, I wasn't really expecting to have to deal with and we still were fairly successful, but just, you know, it was a lot
0: uh, to deal with. So anyway. That's amazing. I've been to Belize twice, but one is once as a tourist and uh, many, many decades ago when I worked for um, an international development company, uh, like a nonprofit yeah. development. So I never in encountered
1: in the, in the islands. Yeah, the Blue Hole Shark Alley, the diving's great. If you go out to the islands, it's beautiful. There's some amazing ruins, but just stay out of Belize City. And I happen to have a call center there in Belize sure. City, you know, so yeah. Um, there were so many amazing people and so many people that need help and for me who I feel like I'm a bit of a humanitarian it felt I felt handcuffed I felt like I couldn't help people you know you'd have a woman come in and you knew she just got beat up she's wearing sunglasses and and she's going back to the same guy because she doesn't have a place to go she doesn't have a choice yeah. and so you feel really helpless too um and I I still you know, wish I could, I I would love to hire, like some people there, you know, work at home or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there are some
0: people that you just can't help, you know, Um, they've got to help themselves
1: before you you can lend a
0: hand. Yeah, Very very true. Very good lesson. Um, That sort of leads me to my next question. If you had the chance to give your past self, some current advice, what would you tell yourself? Um, based on all your experiences?
1: (laughs) I would say write things down more often, dream bigger. Um, I think there's an energy in the world. I don't know whether it's God, Buddha, aliens, whatever, (laughs) but I would tell myself to have faith in that energy and to go where you fear the most first and just believe in it. Um, I tell young people, I pretend like I can talk to my 20-year-old self, because I do a lot of mentoring and coaching with younger people, and I tell them the same thing all the time. Whatever you want to do in life as a 20-year-old man or, or woman, you can absolutely do it. All you've got to do is focus on it and build a network around it, and within 20 years, some people within your network will have made it, and if you've been friends with them for 20 years, they're gonna they're going to bring you with them they're going to give you the blueprint that you need to be successful. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: trust people that are around you and share your, share everything with them, all your dreams, all your hopes, and build that network that believe in people at a young age, don't prejudge, believe in everybody and support their dream. And some of those people will make it and they'll support you in your dream because you supported them when nobody else did. So I guess, you know, that, that that's, one of the primary pieces of advice I always try to give young people.
0: That's beautiful. And I've never heard anyone say it so eloquently before. Say that, that particular lesson before. That's wonderful. Um, before, before we close, is there anything else you'd like to share with us?
1: I'm happy to share whatever you need to know. Um, I know you, you sent me some questions over and I kind of looked through them. But I usually like to run on the fly. I don't like to prejudge a call. I like to give my authentic self. So I'm open to talking about whatever you want
0: to talk about. Um, I guess similar to what you were just talking about, um, for our listening audience, what what advice would you give to a small business owner who can't quite crack six figures or to the seven figure business owner trying to scale to the tens or hundreds of millions? (laughs)
1: You know, get mentors, get, um, there's there's groups like how we met, Philip, you know, uh, in in Bellwether, which is a secret society, but there's, you know, there's 1,300 entrepreneurs within that group. Find mentors and be humble enough to know that you can't do it alone, that every superhero has a superhero family. You know, when the Flash gets stuck, he calls Superman or or Supergirl or, you know, when people get stuck, have somebody to call that you can ask for for help um and so so that would be i mean maybe one bit of advice is get a mentor and explain to them where your challenges are for me i can see five or six holes in any business and, and give you solutions in about that you know that much time um there are people around the world that have been successful and and that's what they want to do is give back um I love seeing people succeed. So, if I see where you are and and see what you're trying
0: to crack, I usually come up with a pretty good, pretty good solution. That's fantastic. Well, your insights have been truly wonderful and outstanding and remarkable, especially about Mexico and Belize and cultural issues that a lot of people don't necessarily think about or consider before they go into uh, international business. And and that are extremely (laughs) great.
1: Oh, it's cheap. Let's go here. But it can be very expensive. Um, Another example is one of my clients was in the Philippines with their business. And they were doing uh, appointment setting and they were getting 12 appointments per day. And the show rate was around 30%. I'm sorry, the what rate? Around 30% was the number of people that showed up for appointments. So they'd they'd set, let's say they said 12 appointments in a day. Well, only four people would show up out of those appointments that were set, and they were probably paying eight dollars an hour in the Philippines, you know seven or eight bucks an hour. We're 15 an hour. However, we do 27 appointments per day with a 70 percent show-up rate, and so sometimes spending less is more expensive. And it's only because of the acculturation. Those people in the Philippines can't have a personal conversation about the NFL or the Major League Baseball. Or So in order to develop trust, you have to be able to establish rapport. And so there's a process that we go through with our agents to make sure that they understand that rapport building is the number one skill you need to create. But they just don't have that skills skill level in the Philippines or India or even Belize or even, you know, um, Colombia. Or Argentina or any place, it has to be. For you know, for me, I look at nearshore facilities that understand American culture, and that's where I look to build uh, solutions because it's a little bit less expensive than America. And if you're doing it right, it's not a ton. Like some people might think, Mexico is four bucks an hour or something like that. But for talent, we're at sixty-eight bucks an hour. Uh, you know, for our hourly wage for employees, if you want talent. You can hire anybody, but if you want somebody with a clean accent or no accent, along with sales skills and the ability to execute, well, you're going to pay a little bit more for those people. But those are the same people that would cost $17 to $25 an hour in the U.S. So for me, you know, I think you have to look at expense and success. It's It's not as obvious as you think it is. Sometimes you're spending less, but you're failing at your job. And so you're not getting over the hump because you made a decision to save money, when in fact, spending less is costing you more, and vice versa. And so I, I think, um, so, so hopefully that helps a few people.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's another wonderful insight. Again, it's an example of how Americans tend to focus on money um, as the primary criterion instead of looking at the broader issues. So sure, value. Again, so thank you very, very much for joining us today. Uh, This this has been a conversation with Craig Handley. Uh, And this is Philip Auerbach. Uh, Please join us again next week for another edition of Global Gurus and their stories on international business.